If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. We're beginning a, a new series called God Said. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Very glad to ha- have all of you here today. And uh, I believe that what we're going to start today with is going, we're going to lay a foundation, all right? So we're going to look over a few scriptures. And uh, so um, I want to just whet your appetite for, for what's about to come. We are going to look into, first of all, wh- why is it important to believe God's word? What effect it will have on our lives? Why is it important that we understand that that he's made us these promises. Why God has done that? Why did he make promises to us? And why is it important that we know those promises? How many of you know it's important to know that? Because, and we talk about this all the time, that we talk about the promises of God, but I'm going to show those things to you over the next few weeks. You might have heard me say the promises of God, and you say, well, yeah, okay, well, what is that? What are the promises of God? So I'm glad you asked. I heard your question. And, uh, we're going to talk about those things. We're going to reveal these things. There are going to be lots of scriptures over the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to be able to uh, get a lot of resources to you concerning his promises. Uh, we're going to talk about peace and healing and joy and abundance and prosperity and blessing and all of those wonderful things that God has promised to us. Now, those are just a handful of things. I mean, there are, this book is full of promises. It's full of promises. And the thing is that we need to understand about these promises is that there's a power connected to them. It's not about us just getting something from God. It is the way to live your life. It is God's, those promises are his ability to work through your life to ensure that you live the kind of life that God's called you to. Now let's look over 2 Peter chapter 1 and I'll show you something really awesome today. And verse 2 says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I love the letters of, this is Peter, but then Paul also, they continually, they started their letters out to the churches always with this phrase, grace and peace be multiplied to you. I love that. I love the positive message of the scriptures. I love the, the positive, uh, 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 the, the encouragement and the exhortation that comes with this opening statement, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now watch, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us, say, that's me. I want you to say that he's given it to me, okay? All things that pertain to life and godliness, okay? So God didn't leave you hanging. He didn't leave you lacking. So this is what the scripture is telling us that God has given to us. So it's going to be important for us to know what that is. All right? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So here's the thing. He's saying when you know Jesus, the more knowledge you get of Jesus, the more understanding you get of him and who he is, then you understand how to live the kind of life I've called you to live. Verse 4, by which have been given to us, say that's me, me. say he's given it to me. Watch, exceedingly great. Great's great, but he wants us to know just how great it is. It's exceedingly great and precious or costly, valuable promises. That through these, that is through these promises, you may be partakers 
of the divine nature. Through what? Through his promises, you become partners or partakers of the divine nature of the, or the God kind of lifestyle. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This answers your question about how you should pray, ladies and gentlemen. This answers your question about how you should pray. You should always pray the promises of God. All right? Because his promises are his desire for you. And you'll never have to go, oh my God, is Lord, uh, I, I just want to pray, make sure everything I'm praying is your will. Uh, and so many believers are trepidatious about approaching God because they don't know if it's okay to where their will stops and where his starts or where his stops and their will. And it just can be a confusing thing. But that answers it right there. You'll escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, or that is through your own selfish desires, when you partake of the promises that have been given to you. This is powerful. So we have to know what God has promised us so that we can get those things in our mouth. We can pray what God has said, and our prayers will always be effectual. Our prayers will always be effective. That means an effective prayer is one in which you ask and you get the answer. All right? These aren't just wishes we're throwing up to God. We're not just throwing a coin into a, a wishing well going, come on, I hope I hit it right. Boy, I hope I land on the will of God. <laughs> no, he's shown us what his will is. His promises are his will. That's right. Yeah. All right? Boy, this is good. Mm-hmm. And through those promises, see, we live like him in the earth. That's right. We're partakers yeah. of his nature. That's right. Hallelujah. Yeah. It is the power to live a right life. It is the power to live a holy life. His promises just aren't neat things to have. They are the way to live. Now, go over to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to help you. I want to, we're going we're to expose some enemies of this kind of thinking. There, there, there is an enemy. His name is the devil, and he hates you. He does. He hates you. And the reason he hates you is because you look like God. Because right. God made you in his image. So everywhere he looks on the earth, he sees God. Mm-hmm. Sees his image. And he hates it. And it really, the reason he hates it is because he's afraid of you. And he hates the fact that he's afraid of you. <laughs> he hates the fact that he really has no power unless you give him the power. Yep. Yeah. I got the power. He, he hates that you have the power. But listen to me. The scripture teaches us that the devil roams about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He just has a big mouth. Like a seeking whom he may. He has to have permission to devour you. The devil does not have the power to just devour. Seeking whom he may devour. And to those who open the door and say, yeah, welcome. Bring the chaos. Then he's allowed permission. And if he knows, if we know that, see, if we understand that and we guard ourselves against it, he's powerless to do anything to us. Uh-huh. Amen. Now, he can, he'll certainly put hindrances up. He'll certainly attack us. But the Bible says no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. See, you ultimately have the victory because you're in Jesus. How many of you believe that Jesus whipped up on the devil real good? Yeah, he did. See, and by what he did for you, all you do now is enforce and invoke that victory by your continual fight of faith. All right? If you'll fight, you'll win. But we have to understand that the devil is a schemer. 
and he has plans and he has ideas and he's trying to continually get you off of the word of God because he knows that is the power in your life to be an overcomer. And if he can get the word away from you, if he can steal it away from you, make you question, make you doubt it, then he realizes that you are not on a level playing field at all. As a matter of fact, he's got you. Because you in the natural, none of us are a match for the devil. I mean, if physically, I mean, I think I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. All right? I can't physically whip up on the devil. I would love to. I, I imagine myself doing it, but the truth is I can't. There's only one way to beat him, and that is through God's word. So here in the very beginning, Satan begins to expose his scheme to us. And Paul even tells us later on, he says, hey, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. So I want to help you today to be armed with knowledge, to be armed with understanding about your enemy, all right, so that you can know, so that you can know how to guard that word. Now watch, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, did God say that? Yeah. It's not a trick question. Did God say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. He said you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? But he said of all the other trees you may freely eat. All right, so he asked Eve this question, has God said? Now, if you go back to the original Hebrew, uh, this is what it sounds like. <clears throat> has God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Why? Why? Now, think about this for a moment. God gave Adam and Eve the right to rule, the right to have dominion, the right to be fruitful and multiply, and to tend the garden and to have freely of every tree except one. I would say that's a generous deal. 50-50 is a generous deal. He's God. If he says you get one tree and I get the rest of the world, I still think that's generous of God. I mean, he's the creator. He can set the rules however he wants to, but he chose to be generous. He chose to love us. He chose to give, us, to give man this abundant life. Think about it. All the trees you may freely, except this one. I get one tree, you get the rest of the world, all right? And the devil begins to make them look at what they can't have, all right? This is what he always does. He's always minimizing God's generosity. He's always minimizing God's promises. He's always minimizing God's willingness to give, all right? So he says, why, right? So write this down if you're taking notes, write thought, he introduces a new thought to Eve. All right? A new thought, and that is why. And that why, that thought, started a chain of events. Then she said, now watch how she responds. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Go to Genesis 2, 16, and we'll see exactly what God said. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely, she left freely out. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Let's not act like that that's, that, that's not on purpose there. All right? 
freely eat. And she says, of every tree of the garden we may eat. She takes the word freely out. All right, now watch. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the, the, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, did God say you can't even touch it? No, he didn't say that. No, it's a good idea. I mean, if, if you can't eat it, you probably, probably shouldn't touch it. But that's not what he said. All I'm saying is the moment the questions come, you have a tendency sometimes, you have a temptation, that is, to either add to what God has said or take away from what God has said. And she did both. She took away freely and added to, don't touch. She's making God out to be somewhat stingy and greedy. Because she entertained the question, why? And once the enemy saw, when he heard her response, that she did not repeat God as he had really said, then he went in for the kill. Watch. Go back to, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. First he offers a thought, and then he brings a contradiction. You will not surely die. For God knows. See, this is what God's been holding out on you. You're not going to die. God's keeping a secret from you. He knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Hey, stupid devil, guess what? They were already like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, oh no. That tree was not good for food. That tree was God's tree. All the other trees were good for food. But when she saw that the tree was good for food, that is, she believed another word. The thought, the contradiction, and now it has become an imagination. She saw it, that it was good for food. And look, that it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Thought, contradiction, imagination. Now, I told you I'm going to lay some groundwork this morning. I want you to take your Bible Hold your place there in Genesis and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is thousands of years later, all right, from this moment right here. Thousands of years later, and the Apostle Paul, who said, we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes, we're not ignorant of his devices. Now watch this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or that is, are not fleshly, all right? They're not in the, they're not in the natural but mighty, where? In God. All right? For pulling down strongholds. Here we go. And that's going to give us what those strongholds are. Here we go. Casting down arguments, or in one translation, it says imaginations. Casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, contradiction, bringing every thought into captivity. See, there it is. Imagination, contradiction, thought. It's the same scheme. Yeah. It's the same plan. The devil started it in the beginning, and he's still offering the same plan. It starts with that thought, that questioning God's word, that little doubt that creeps in. And before long, if you entertain that doubt, then you'll begin to believe the opposite of what God has said. Right. 
and you'll begin to imagine yourself. Oh, man. It is, a, it is a plague of a process. But ladies and gentlemen, we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. That's right. We understand that it all starts here. So how important is it that the child of God, the believer, get their thought life right? It is crucial to your life to get your thoughts right. Well, I can't help it. That's just the way I think. Yes, you can. God gave you a thing called choice. Gave you a thing called free will. You choose. You can control the way you think. Now, how you do that is by by saying the right kinds of things. You know, you, you have to think about what's coming out of your mouth. When you're speaking, you have to think about what you're saying. Your mind is engaged. So if your thoughts are all whacked out and screwed up, then start saying what God has said. Start saying a new thing. And guess what? Your thoughts have to follow that. This is the power to get your thoughts right by what's coming out of your mouth. And ultimately, your life is going in the direction of that which you are talking about. Right? And you're talking about that which you truly believe. Out of the abundance of the heart, the belief, the core belief system, the mouth speaks. All right? Is this okay? Yes. Um, Amen. All right, now watch. So these thoughts, so we have to rein in those thoughts. And it's not about wishing the devil would just go away. Wishing the trouble would just stop, right? You cannot cast your mind out. <laughs> the only thing we can cast out are devils. If you've got devils, you can get free. But you can't cast your own mind out. You have to renew your mind. To renew your mind by the Word of God. All right? So we pull our, those thoughts into captivity. We say, no, I'm not going to dwell on those things. I'm going to get new thoughts into my life. Yep. All right? And this keeps you guarded from the devil's schemes and aware of those things. All right? Amen. Now, uh, that's the, and that is all, that's all very important so that you can, you can have this streamline of flow with the promises of God in your life, all right? That the, that the yeah. devil, he's going to bring hindrances and those kinds of things. That happens, but he doesn't have to win. Right. You don't have to let him win. Amen. You can win every time. Right. So now let's continue forward. Now let's look. Um, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. you got to be kidding me. There's only two people on planet earth, and they're trying to hide from God. All right? Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Hey, let's not be too hard on Adam and Eve. Everybody in here in this room somewhat thought they could hide from God in one way or another. God said to them, where are you? He said, so he said, this is Adam. Listen, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See what sin just did for them? Sin, sin relinquished them of the ability to talk to God. Not God to talk to them. He talked to them just fine, didn't he? He said, where are you? And Adam said, I was afraid. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where'd you learn to talk like that? Did you eat of the tree? That's what he asked him. I was afraid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Verse 11, of which I command you that you should not eat. And the man said, then the man said, then the man said, sweetheart, don't be too hard on him. He learned this from his father, Adam. All right. Then, 
Then the man said, the woman that you gave me. We have the first sin, and now we have the first cop-out. She gave me of the tree, and I ate. Now watch. Then then the Lord said to the the Lord God said to the woman, "What is this that you've done?" So she just follows suit. Uh, The serpent. Nobody's willing to take responsibility here, right? Man, how 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 has mankind continued in this tradition right here that it's somebody else's fault? Forget the choices I've made. Somebody, it's easier to blame somebody else than face the consequences and be responsibility and be responsible for what I've done. Yeah. Amen. Boy, this preaches so good. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity. That word enmity means war or hatred. Now watch. I will put enmity between you and the woman. The devil and the woman. Between your seed, so the devil has a seed, and her seed. Now look at this. Her seed is capital S. Who's this talking about? Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, uh, an interesting thing about this in the Hebrew text, almost every time seed is mentioned, it is his seed. But what God was showing us here is really powerful. He said her seed here. That is that there's not going to be a man involved in this seed that's coming. This man's going to be born of a woman and no man will play a part in it. Hallelujah. And when he comes, he'll bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. But in the original it says, he will put his foot on your neck and break your back. You guys saw the movie, right? The Passion. When he's in the garden, he stomps on that snake. And Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, Born of a woman. Hallelujah. Born under the law. Now, turn over to John chapter 8 for a moment. I didn't get to this in the first service, but you guys are going to love this. John chapter 8. And let's look at verse 42, starting around 42. Now, let me just kind of give you a, a, a little prequel to this part right here. And that is that Jesus, Jesus had just um, said some really wonderful things. One that we all know in John 8. 32, it says, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, right? Jesus said this to those Jews who believed him. So they, they had heard his words, they had seen what he had done. And so some of them are, they're inclined to listen to him even more. They're, they're liking what he's saying, all right? Now, then they end up getting in this dispute, all right? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, all right? He's talking to religious people here. He's not talking to sinners, He's talking to religious people. All right? Now watch. And I, I mean, we're all sinners. Please understand what I mean by that. But I'm talking about people that were going to church. They were doing the right kind of stuff. All right? If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Now watch. Verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Uh Uh-oh. 
Now watch, 44. You are of your father. Who? The devil. There's, there's the serpent seed that was talked about thousands of years earlier. And there's the hatred and the war between his seed and her seed. They're at a standoff right there. And he says, you're of your father, the devil. Jesus didn't mince words. The religious system is a seed of the devil. And the desires of your father, now watch, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. He just exposed everything about the devil, their father, the father of religion. You're of your father, the devil. Now, isn't that interesting? And he says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And the truth is, those that are bound up in this kind of lifestyle of religion, self-righteousness, have no time for the truth. I don't have any time. I just want to go do my duty. I want to go to church and get that done and do that. That's just, that's, my, that's what we do. It's what my grandma did. It's what my mom did. And so that's what I'm going to do. No, no life in it. Just. Now, what's interesting about this is that, that religion like this always oppresses the woman, doesn't it? It always, the woman is always the victim in a religious system. I mean, just go just a few thousand miles in the other side of the world and you'll see how the women are treated. Right? I mean, they're just lucky if they can show their eyeballs in public. But I think it's interesting that, that God, when he brings his seed, he brings it in through a woman. By herself, a virgin, a man has no part of it. And I think it's interesting that the very first person that saw the risen Savior come out of that tomb was a woman. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's why it's so much easier for women to be converts. It is. If you look at Paul's ministry, the very first people he ran into to even start the church was a bunch of women. He said, yeah, we're on board. There's always women going, yeah, I accept this, yeah. Anything that will free me from these chains. Yeah. <laughs> right? <clears throat> God makes a promise. Now look at this. He made a promise here. Someone is coming to deliver us from the power of sin. Thank God. Many years go by and man is lost. And we see how lost he is. I just want to read a few scriptures to you. Romans chapter 5 teaches us how lost we are because of that one man's sin. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one... Verse 18 of Romans 5, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. 19, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That one man brought that much chaos to the world through that one sin. And the fact that you and I, were, you and I are born on planet Earth, we're born right into that sinful nature. Well, that don't seem fair, Pastor Eric. Hey, you've done your fair share. All right? Don't act like this is all Adam's fault and you're the victim here. In one sense, you are the victim. 
But God didn't leave you that way. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself, verse 14, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isn't this wonderful? And shall call his name Emmanuel, which is to say God with us. Now, even more powerful, God was showing us his desire in his relationship with us. And when he said, I'm sending my son, born of a virgin, he is God with us. He is God with you. No longer would God be far away. No longer would men be estranged from him, knowing him somewhere out there in the cosmos. But no, now through Jesus, he is God with us. Why did God do this? Why did God do this? I mean, they're the ones that made the choice. God didn't choose to do that. They made the choice to sin. They made the choice to eat the fruit that he told them not to. Why did he do that? Was, he obliga- was God obligated to do that for them? No. He didn't make the choice. I mean, people, people do things because they feel obligated to do them. Right? Uh-huh. Amen. Like, I have a friend who used to um, be an EMT, and he rode on the ambulance. And I asked him one time, I said, Brian, tell me something. All those calls that you go on, all those ambulance runs you make, how many of, just give me a percentage of how many of those are actually authentic calls. They're, they're actual emergencies where they, act, they really did need an ambulance there. He said, less than 5%. Less than 5%. He said, but to the person who made the call, it's very real. He said, so we respond every time because we have an obligation to do it. Now, God didn't have an obligation to do this. He didn't make the choice, but he did something about it. Why did he do this? Everybody knows a very familiar piece of scripture that we see at the goalpost in the football game. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank the Lord. God simply did it because he loved the world. But isn't that an awfully big price to pay even if you love somebody? Yeah. Joseph, come here for a second, man. You handsome thing, you. Everybody get a good. Elaine, would you come up here too? How about David Garner? Come up here, man. My buddy. (laughs) Kayla Griffin, come up here. Griffith, I'm sorry, I said Griffin. Forgive me. Forgot your kinda, Andy. Andy's long lost cousin. Hmm, Brenda, you come up here too. Now, isn't this a fine looking bunch of people right here? All of these people are very special to me. Some way or other, very, very important to me, very special. Some of them I've come to, I've known before I. Um, was in the ministry here and pastoring, but since I've become pastor here, they've all become even that much more dear to me. 
and I know some of their stories, and we've talked, and we've prayed together, and spent time together. As much as I love these people, and I do, if they were in a situation where their lives were in jeopardy together, and the only way that they could survive or that they could live is if somehow I gave my son in place for them to live, but he had to die, they are all going to see Jesus right now. (laughs) And I love them dearly, but I am not going to trade my son for any of them. And I would expect they wouldn't trade their child for me either. I hope, anyway. So we understand then by that that our love has limits then, doesn't it? Our love has a ceiling. I love you, but I don't love you as much as I love my son. Now, hold there for just a moment. God so loved the world, he gave his son. That love right there, I can't understand. I can't wrap my mind around that. And it's going to take an eternity to to even understand its depth and its height and its width and its length. It's just going to take forever for us to even comprehend that. Paul said he prayed for us to understand it. Just don't know if that prayer can get answered, though. Can we really get it? Yeah, there's only one way to get it, and that is just to receive it by faith. Whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. I don't understand it, but I can receive it. And that's all he offers. But think about this. God had no guarantee that anybody would respond to this. He wasn't forcing the matter. He was giving his son and hoping that someone would respond to this love. But who can't respond? I mean, when you know your love like that, it makes him pretty irresistible. Somebody would love you that much that they'd give up their own son. Even if there was a guarantee that all of these guys, a 100% guarantee that all of them would would live if my son died, even if there was a 100% guarantee, they are still going to heaven. But God had no guarantee, and yet he gave him anyway. This is the first promise that was given to us, ladies and gentlemen. The very first promise, right out of that garden, I'm sending um, a son, a seed born of a woman, and he is going to break the power of the devil. Hallelujah. Thank you. Let's give these guys a great. Thank you guys for your help today. And we have to understand that first before we understand any of the other promises of God. Because when we understand that he gave us the best by his love, then there's nothing that he will hold back from us. There's nothing more precious to God than his son. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. 
Let me finish with this. Are you okay? Yeah. Y'all awake out there? Help me know that you're awake out there. Amen. Somebody wake that guy up. All right. Oh, God is love. So everything, God loved us. Think about this. Love was what compelled God to do this. But God is love. It's the very core of who he is. So what he did came out of, it's hard to comprehend, it's hard to say, but it came out of who he is. It wasn't hate. It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't judgment. It was love. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as humans concerning God and our thoughts of him are that we, we, we think of him a lot on our terms, that he's like us except one or two steps above us. Thank God he's so much higher than that. He is God, we are not. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Amen. Now, Adam and Eve did not, after Adam and Eve sinned, think about it, they're all there right? God shows up and he sees Adam and Adam says, it's the woman. And then there's the woman. She says, it's the serpent. So they're all there. This, this, this event has just taken place, right? God shows up and there they all are caught. Uh-huh. Amen. Now, if God's like us, he's going to say something like this. I'll see you in a couple hundred years. I got to go cool off. <laughs> right? This is ridiculous. Right? They're all right there. I mean, the sin has happened. Uh-huh. Amen. And God said, I'm going to fix this. And boy, am I ever going to fix this. He went immediately to work for redemption. Immediately. Not out of anger, out of love. The only cure to this is my son. The only thing that can fix all of this is my son. Because at that point, a man had to die. Blood had to be shed. But no man could do it for himself. But when God became a man, that could fix it. And that man bled and died, that could fix it. I'm almost through. Since that day. Now I want you to know that Jesus was not born nine months later and it got fixed. Thousands of years went by before it happened, before he came. But since God made a promise, it set it in motion. It was just like it had happened. If he said it, it was just as good as it already happening. Hallelujah. This is, this is what's so great about these promises that God has given us. They're as good as done the moment he says them. Yeah. Now, it might take time to those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience, seed, time, harvest. You getting this? Faith and patience inherit the promises. Say it with me. Faith and patience inherit the promises. 
I mean, surely there, was, there were people that were like, is he ever going to come? They lived their life and they would die. And is he ever going to come? And prophets would, would declare of this day that, of the Redeemer coming. Even after God basically destroyed the entire earth except eight people and some animals. That didn't fix it. And here at, at the very end, God's, God tells Noah after, after the water has receded and Noah comes off the ark and all the animals and God begins to tell Noah what he told Adam in the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, have, rule and have dominion. And then he says, I'm going to put my rainbow in the cloud. I love this. I'm going to put my rainbow in the cloud and when I look on it, I'll remember my covenant. That rainbow was not for Noah to look at to remember God's covenant. Now, I'm grateful that we have rainbows, and I'm reminded of that. But it was more for God. God said, when I see the rainbow in the cloud, then I will remember my covenant I'm making with you today. That rainbow in the cloud is Jesus today. God looks at him. The Bible says through Moses came the law, but through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. Well, Peter later on talks about the grace of God as the manifold grace of God. Do you know what the word manifold means? Multicolored. Woo! When God saw Jesus, he sees this multicolored grace. He sees the rainbow. And when he sees him, he remembers his covenant. When he looks there at his right hand and sees Jesus in all of his glory. As a matter of fact, over in Revelation chapter 4, it says there is a rainbow that encircles the throne. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God sees you through his grace today. And he's always in remembrance of his wonderful covenant that I will no longer be angry with mankind anymore. The judgment is passed on Jesus. You are forgiven. You are reconciled. You are free from the power of sin. Now, just one part you play in it. Believe it. How simple and how wonderful is it that God would do that for us and all we have to do say, I believe that, and I receive that. Now, I don't know if you've heard good news lately, but that's really good news. That is really good news. In 2 Corinthians 1, last verse, verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, that is by me, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him was yes. Listen to me. I want you to understand why it is so important that we preach what the Word of God says. Paul says, when we preach Jesus to you, it was not no and yes, yes and no, sometimes maybe, some, sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes maybe, sometimes slow. Some, no, it's, the answer was yes. We preach Jesus to you, then we preach yes to you. This is so good. Now watch. But in him was yes for all the promises of God are in him. In who? Yeah. In Jesus. Are yes. And in him? Amen. Amen. To the glory of God Amen. through us. Yeah. See, the fact that Jesus came, the main promise, the big promise, and did what he did, 
then all the promises to you are absolutely yes and amen. Yeah. You don't even, even have to question whether they're yours or whether it's God's will. It is God's will. Yeah. His promises are his will. Now, we have to get serious about receiving what God has promised us. Just like you had to be serious about receiving what Jesus did for you in order to have eternal life. But for your life here, it's important that you grab a hold of all that God has for you. So the next few weeks, we're going to expose all of those wonderful promises. And I want you to get your faith out there and come expecting to learn some new things. Get your, get your appetite up for what God has for you because it is going to change your life. Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. If we could. Every head bowed here today for just a moment. I want to just talk to you for a couple of minutes and then we'll get out of here. But I, th- I believe that we've come to a very, very important time in this, in this service. Very important time that we all, because of the choices that we make, our life is made up of the choices that we make. And so today, some of you here need to make a new choice. You need to make a new decision for your life. You need to make a new decision. You're here today, and I believe that you're here because God's grace brought you here. And you heard this message. You heard this message about the love of God that's greater than anything. And I want to just tell you the simple thing about God sending Jesus. He died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again three days later from the dead, and he is alive today. That tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. He beat death. And now he's seated at God's right hand. And by what he did, see, he gave you access to God. He gave you an opportunity for eternal life by you simply believing in him. Your own goodness and your own decisions and right doings in this life, they can't even, they'll never make you a place with God. They just won't because we can't measure up. We're born in sin. But Jesus made a way for you. And you have to come to the place where you trust him, that he is the only one that can save you. He is the only one that can make, put you in such a way that you are right with God. But the Bible says he did it. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. See, God has to make you brand new. We call it born again. That is, you're born of the flesh as you sit here today. But being born of the Spirit is when you become part of the family of God. And it is simply by this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive remission of your sins. Now, I ask you here today, if you'll just be honest with me, and just between me and you and God here, if you'll just say, Pastor Eric, I'm not a part of the family of God, and I've never received what Jesus did for me personally. I've heard the story, but I've never accepted it from me personally. And today, I want him in my life. If that's you, just slip up your hand just between me and you and God. Just raise your hand. I want to see you. Acknowledge that that's you. That you want to be free from the power of sin, from the power of the devil. You want to have this new life. You want to know that when you close your eyes in death here on earth, and we all will, unless Jesus comes back before them, you want to know that your eternity is secure in heaven. And there's only one way. It's through Jesus. Are you here today? Slip up your hand. I'll pray for you. You can leave here knowing 
knowing, sure, that God is your Father and heaven is your home. Father, I thank you for all these here today. I thank you, God, for your blessing on them. I thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you gave him to us. And by virtue of what he did, we've been brought near to God. Hallelujah. We have a new and living way through Jesus Christ. Bless your people now. Thank you for your grace upon them, Lord. And Father, in the next few weeks, as your word is unfolded to us concerning your promises, we thank you that they're all securely yes in Jesus. May your people be filled with the wisdom, spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. To grab a hold of these promises and that they not only become something that they would like to have, but they become a way to live. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for locations and events. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church.